You're not going to lose it. Uh, but you're going to have a tendency to neglect it. It's your salvation. <clears throat> I don't know what it is in us that inclines us in that direction. But face it, it's true. In fact, there's a likelihood that there are some here tonight, and we're grateful you are here tonight, <clears throat> who have already begun the subtle drift away from salvation mooring point. You're not going to lose something you did nothing to be worthy of. Uh, that's a good topic for another day, the uh, security of your salvation. Uh, Maybe we'll get to it some other day. For now, let me just tell you, it, it's not going to be rejected by a believer, uh, but it surely can be neglected. We can drift. And if that's you uh, tonight, apparently you're not alone because a whole book of the Bible has been written to warn us from the subtle drift and to discourage us from it. And it's a book called Hebrews. And the writer of Hebrews, as part of his persuasiveness in keeping us moored in the center of our enthusiasm for the Savior, uh, uses a very rational approach. And he tells us Though you do have this tendency to fall back into the old ways, the so-called good old days, he is essentially saying to us in this marvelous book, don't do it, because what you have found in Christ Jesus is far better. Uh, therefore, I think we can call this book of Hebrews the letter of better. I think that's the overarching theme of the book, and we're going to make it the overarching theme in the next several weeks and probably months. We're going to camp out on it. And as we did numbers, just slow down and, uh, and reflect and study and make application uh, from it and see how much better off we are now as people of this new and marvelous covenant than we ever were. How much better is this personal relationship with the Redeemer than even the richest of religious experiences and traditions we have had? How much better it is to rest on his merits than to depend on our own? How much better it is to be a subject uh, of the king uh, than to think we're masters of our own destiny? How much better is his priesthood and sacrificed how much better is it to be a very temple of the Holy Spirit than to go to a locale wherein we think we're going to find God? How much better it is to have access to the throne of grace because he has caused his spirit to indwell us. And so the writer simply wants to persuade us, you're going to be tempted to go back to the old ways. Resist. Because what you have in Christ Jesus is far better. We'll find this out in the letter of better, but there's a lot we're not going to find out. For instance, we're not going to find out, I don't think, who wrote it. And this is a very disturbing thing to me personally. <laughs> I really would like to impress you with the fact that I studied it real hard and I know who wrote it. 
but I don't. I read all of it several times. It doesn't say. I read a whole lot about it. Nobody knows. Now, people have a lot of suggestions. In fact, it is phenomenal to see how many suggested authors there are. For instance, some say Paul wrote it. Others, Luke. Some say Barnabas or Peter or Jude or Stephen or Mary or Priscilla and Aquila or Philip or Epaphras or Apollos or Clement of Rome or somebody named Aristion or I have no idea. We just don't know, and it gets worse than that. Not only do we not know who wrote this marvelous book, we don't know who he sent it to, he or she. We don't know what its destination was. And there are many guesses, and they're educated for sure, but they're just guesses. Some say the destination uh, of the letter was Jerusalem, and others say, no, it was Alexandria, and others say, oh, no, absolutely not. It was sent to folks in Rome. And then there's a whole lot of discussion about who these folks are who received this letter. Who are they? Some say they're unbelievers. And so this letter uh, called Hebrews was written as kind of an evangelistic tractate so as to persuade unsaved to be saved. That's what some say. Others say, absolutely not, just read it. It's written to believers. But then those who say it's written to believers have difference of opinion with regard to the ethnicity of the believers. You see, some say it's written to Gentile believers, and many more say, no, it's written to Jewish believers with a smattering of Gentile believers mixed in. You probably can guess at what I think. <laughs> we don't know for sure. And what's more... Uh, we're not entirely certain about the situation, but as we read the book, we find out it seems to be written to folk, probably believers, who stopped growing. They were stuck, um, stalled out. They lost their enthusiasm, their first love. They were going through the motions. Church attendance was an obligation. Prayer was unstimulating. The Bible was uh, unattended to. Evangelism was something for others to do. Giving of one's precious and limited resources waned. They stopped growing. And uh, as if that wasn't bad enough, when you stop, you don't just stay there. You go backward. And that's what was happening to these recipients. They were falling back uh, into their uh, religious traditions and into their own sinful ways. They were um, failing to assemble together. They were giving in to worldly pressure against a serious commitment to their leader, a King Jesus. And they were in danger, not of losing, what was irreversibly theirs, uh, the born-again experience, but they surely were in danger of being entirely neutralized and a lost asset to the kingdom of God uh, on earth. They were drifting. They were falling backwards. How could they do this? The same way you or I could do it. Be careful. 
Be careful of an arrogant finger-pointing tendency. Be careful. It's just a mirror into our soul. Their temptation to drift away from the faith uh, was due to the same things that draw us away from an enthusiastic, wholehearted commitment uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. In their case, specifically, it appears that they were being persecuted for the faith. It was the Roman Empire. And at the time in Rome, uh, those who were practitioners of Judaism were protected in their pursuits. But those who were followers of this Jesus were not. This Jesus posed a threat to the Roman emperor. Uh, he didn't like competition. Uh, the Roman emperor claimed to be deity, but the followers of Jesus refused to acknowledge him as such. They would bow before none other uh, save the Lord Jesus. And so the emperor was threatened by this. And there was all out increasing persecution followers of the way. Jesus is the way. So it was okay to follow Jewish tradition, but it surely wasn't okay to follow the Jewish Messiah. So they caved in. What happened to them could happen to us. It is no surprise to you, I don't think I'm being overly dramatic, that there seems to be an orchestrated effort worldwide to extinguish the light it will not succeed. Uh, the light will continue to shine in darkness and not even the gates of hell can prevail against it. So don't be unduly worried. Just be aware. You don't want the fire to be extinguished in you uh, because of encroachment and pressures against a, an unashamed proclamation of the gospel. Be careful lest you cave in the way these in the book of Hebrews were prone to cave in. So when was it written? Well, we don't know that either. Good night, we don't know nothing. But we can narrow it down to some extent. Uh, for instance, though we don't have a precise day, we can, date, we can get a range of dates. You see, Timothy is mentioned in the book of Hebrews, so that means it was written in his lifetime. That much we know. Also, the readers to whom the book was sent had not yet been murdered as martyrs, uh, as believers under Nero, terrible Roman emperor. You know about Nero, crazy, uh, demon-possessed world leader. We have some today, by the way. It's not a new thing. So, 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 so he unleashed terrible persecution of believers, and it appears that these in view were still alive, so uh, it is surmised that the book was written prior to persecution uh, authorized by Nero. Now, Nero died in A.D. 68, and it looks like the full outpouring of his persecution took place earlier than that. Obviously, you can't do anything when you're dead, uh, and so uh, against Christians, and so, so we could guess the date of the book was A.D. 64 or 65 or 66, some, somewhere in there. So here's the deal. There's a ton of stuff we don't know. Now, you can spend the better part of your life trying to find out what you can't find out this side of heaven. 
have at it if that's what you want to do. But I think a uh, better um, utilization and expenditure of energy is to put your focus of attention on that which can be ascertained, known, and lived by. And that's the text itself. So uh, that introduction, brief though it may be, having been given, now let's camp out on the letter of better, the book of Hebrews, beginning in chapter 1, verse 1. Take a look. God... That's how it starts. He's the subject. God, after he did what? Spoke. Do you realize how significant that is? What if he didn't? What would you or I know about him? What if he was a non-communicating deity? What if he, as God, created but desired no bridge? with those whom he has created. No line of communication. You would be left with sheer and utter speculation about his character, about his will, about his ways. Guess work about the one with whom we have to make do. But some of the most glorious words in all the Bible are these. And God said... You don't have to squeeze things out from him. Meet me. Speak to me. Guide me. Tell me. That's what he intends to do. And God. He is the most high. He's not the big guy upstairs, and he's not our co-pilot. Shame on those who think that little of him. He's the most high God. And the oft-used, overused word awesome truly applies to him. In his presence you are filled with awe. And that God speaks to puny ones like you and I. Because he cares about us. And God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets... In many portions and in many ways. We're told that in the past, at some time in the past, God spoke. And the means by which he spoke was to use a vehicle. And the vehicle he used is a special and unique category of people called prophets. And you're familiar with them. Folks like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel and Ezekiel. These are the human agents by which Almighty God spoke. He communicated himself to people through other people, specifically chosen, inspired, endowed, so as to be communicators of the words and the will and the ways of Almighty God. That category of humanity deserves special respect. God, for whatever reasons, chose them apart from the rest to be specially endowed and called and commissioned for a very special role. He didn't call me to it, nor did he call you. He called us to listen to what the prophets had to say, but I ain't one of them and neither are you. We're not writing scripture anymore, but they done did it. Therefore, they're special and unique and worthy of respect, but they're not worthy of worship. And that seemed to be the problem in the day. 
there were folks so enamored by the words of Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Isaiah that they didn't go past them. They just became followers of the prophets. Not the one to whom the prophets spoke. Not the one uh, about whom the prophets anticipated his coming. No, they just stopped with him. And though they're worthy of respect, some uh, made their focus of attention disproportionate to who they were. And it appears that the writer of Hebrews is making a case that they, though they're worthy of respect, are not to be worshipped. The one they spoke of is to be worshipped. And so it says here, God did in the past speak through those prophets, and he did so in many portions and in many ways. In other words, he spoke in fragments. The mere fact that there are so many prophets, I only mentioned a few, implies that God did not communicate the fullness and totality of his revelation to anyone. He gave a little to Ezekiel and a little to Jeremiah and a little to Amos and a little to all these boys. And you got to put it all together to get the totality of what God had to say. And so by definition, not any one of them is to be worshipped because every one of them only has a sliver of what God has revealed, you see. So God revealed himself to them in many portions, in many ways. To some, he spoke in dreams, and to others in visions. And in some cases, uh, he had angels deliver a message. And sometimes he spoke through events and all the rest. But, but nobody had it all together. Nobody was all that. Nobody was the total deal. Everyone got a little piece of the puzzle. Therefore, they're not to be worshipped, you see. They just had fragmentary and partial awareness of the will and the ways of God. Though they were divinely inspired spokesmen for God, though they were honored servants of his, yet their ministry was partial and it was fragmentary. But there is one who came who's far better. And he has communicated the will and the ways of God in a far better way. In fact, we read about that better means of communication in verse 2. In the past, God spoke through prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son. A family relationship. In these last days, he has spoken to us in, what's his name, by the way? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so what God announced in the past through the prophets was quite important. But what he spoke through his own son is far better. This is the first thing we discover in the letter of better. Jesus is better than the prophets. God speaks, and he wants us to hear him. God has spoken in his son, and he wants us to pay attention to him. He wants us to pay serious and close attention to his son. So what the prophets said is important. What the son said is far better. His words, you see, are full. They are not fragmentary. His words are final. They are not preparatory. There is no further revelation than that which you find encapsulated in the person of the Son. His name is Jesus Christ. There is no additional testament to the Bible. 
Be careful of clever commercials deceiving you into thinking. This is the testament, and there's another one. There ain't no other one. Jesus is the better and final letter communicating all we need to know about God. The Son's words to us are superior to anybody else's words because the Son is superior to everybody else. And the writer of Hebrews takes pains to point out now the Son's superiority. Check it out. Next phrase. Whom he, the Father, God, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the world. This reminds me of a passage, maybe you're familiar with it, Colossians uh, chapter 1, verse 16. Listen, for by him, it's talking about the Lord Jesus, all things were created by him, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities or republicans or democrats or whatever else all things have been created look through him and for him that is never said of any prophet old or contemporary you can watch dr so-and-so on oprah whatever you want Run out and buy the book so you can figure out how to live, or you can listen to King Jesus. Make it your choice. You could read his words. You can feast on what he has to say, or you can be the first to the bookstore to get the latest new nutso book for 16 bucks. Have it your way. He is superior. He is the agent of creation. The prophets are God's creatures, but the Son is the creator. Who do you want to worship? Creature or creator? Make up your mind. The prophets spoke of God, but the Son speaks as God. Who do you want to worship? You see what the writer is doing? He's saying to these, and we're like them, why are you getting distracted by this myriad of voices beckoning for your attention today when you could sit at the feet of the one who saved you? When you could exercise a new simplicity and, uh, and purity of devotion to Christ Jesus. When you can take a couple deep breaths and as my brother Buddy says, snuggle up to God. Instead of becoming familiar with every wind of doctrine, crazy, nutso, everything today. We'll drift when we get our eyes off the sun. So no longer do we receive revelation bit by bit through the prophets. Now, through a full revelation by a family member, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus we know everything. We have everything we need. One stop shopping. Stop reading so many books. You are driving yourself crazy. You can't sleep at night. 
You are burdened, weary, heavy laden. Because we're drifting away from the one who gives us rest. See, we're, we're, we're the recipients of the book of Hebrews, you see. And, and, and not only is he the agent of creation, look at verse 3. He is the radiance of his glory. He is the radiance of the glory of the unseen God. Uh, uh, some translation says he is the effulgence. I don't know what it means, but I love to sound it out. He is the effulgence. He shines forth as nobody else can. The essence of the moral and spiritual perfections of the unseen deity. Nobody else could do it. Not only that, he is the exact representation of his nature. He is the exact representation of the nature of Almighty God. See those words, exact representation? There's a Greek word behind those two words, and I know you're familiar with it. It's the word character. Did you know that is a Greek word? Character. I didn't till I studied. I did some stuff this week. I studied a little bit. Exact representation means character in Greek. What does that mean? It means he's the imprint of all the perfections and features of Almighty God. It means he is the true representation of all of the attributes, the characteristics of Almighty God. It's as if they are stamped upon him so that he is an exact duplicate of Almighty God. So that when you guess at the character of unseen deity, all you have to do is look to Jesus. For he is the exact representation of Almighty God. Is that not cool? I think it is. You know what that is? That is quite a bold and clear declaration of the deity of Jesus Christ. You're going to run into a bunch of people today who say Jesus is a good guy, but he's not God. Those are people who do not know what they're saying. How could you be the exact representation of God and not be him? This is a bold statement of the deity of Almighty God. The Son of God is God. The prophets spoke of God, but this one, the Son, is God. Listen, only one person could make this bold statement. It's this. He who has seen me has seen the Father. That's John chapter 14, verse 9. Would you dare, would you have the audacity to make that statement? Look to me and you'll see the Father. Would you dare? But Jesus did because he could. Because he, and only he, is the exact representation of the Father. Why are we filling our minds with all kinds of writings by pretenders to the throne? Why? What happened? We're going crazy. We don't have a free moment to think about Jesus. Our ears are stuck with I this and that and Blackberry this. and 
We're, drive, you know, we're tearing our minds apart because our minds can't handle the overstimulation. We're more efficient technologically than ever before, and we seem to be less productive. Nobody sleeps anymore. Nobody does one thing at a time anymore. Multitasking. Let me tell you, the cumulative effect of it is called anxiety. But when you carve out time, shut out distractions, and sit at the feet of the Lord Jesus, you breathe in rest. You enter into Sabbath rest because he's the Lord of the Sabbath. What happened to us? The same thing that happened to these people in Hebrews. They just, they got distracted. It was a subtle thing. It wasn't overnight. It just happened and it became normative and they didn't see it. So God gave us the book of Hebrews so we could, we could see it. He, he, he doesn't only possess the features of God. Do you know only Jesus can do the things of God? For instance, look at the next phrase. He upholds all things by the word of his power. Can you do that? The Lord Jesus can uphold all things. In case you're wondering, what is he doing today? Many things. This is one. He's upholding the world you and I live in. Can you please tell me how else it is sustained and doesn't degrade into sheer and utter chaos? You tell me. Even the scientists can't figure out what holds a molecule together. I just figured it out. Here. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's a better revelation of the character and ways of God. The Son not only provided for the world in which we live... Uh, he also provided for us who live in it, hence the next phrase, when he had made purification of sins. He solved our number one problem. If you listen to the world's leaders today, they say the number one problem is the economy. Or they say the number one problem is inequities in the distribution of wealth. Or the number one problem is that some don't get a good education. Or the number one problem is the environment. Pollution, you know. Oh, no. Those are just symptoms of the problem. The number one problem is that you and I sin against a God who can't tolerate it because he's holy. That's the number one, that's the number one problem. And this one, this son, he solved our number one problem. He correctly, Dr. Jesus correctly diagnosed the disease that plagues us. It's sin. And Dr. Jesus brought the cure. The creator of the world, who also is the sustainer of the world, is also our sin bearer.
Don't you see how much better he is? We must not drift back and away from him. You know, in order to create the world, he spoke. Boom! That's all he had to do. In order to sustain the world, according to this text, he speaks. See, it's upheld by the power of his word. But in order to put away our sin once and for all, he had to bleed and die. And he did. And then he rose up from death. And then he went home to his father. But he looked different now. Now he was scarred and bruised. We sent him home that way. It's only by the Father's amazing grace that we're not all obliterated. What would you do if someone beat up on your child? Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. And, and when he did this, when, the, when, when this special one, we're not talking about the prophets. It's not Dr. Phil. It's not Dr. anybody here. Come on. Why are we so enamored by all this novelty stuff? When we have King Jesus, when he had finished this work, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He sat down. Do you know what that is? That is the posture of rest. He sat down. It's the posture of rest. It's the rest of satisfaction in a finished work. This posture indicates that the work of redemption has been completed by the Redeemer. And now, because he rests from his work of redemption, you and I can rest from all of our efforts to cover up, to make up, to deny <laughs> our sin. We could rest in the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, it is finished. And he sat down. And now we can rest from all good deeds as a substitute for what he did. From all religion as a substitute from what he did. From all vain, arrogant, prideful attempts to straighten out what we have rendered crooked. We can rest from all of that and fix our eyes on the Lord Jesus. He's better, better than human effort at salvation. Human effort at fixing the world. Human effort at winning God's favor. He's better. He sat down. He finished it all. By the way, sat down where? Well, it says right here. At the right hand of the majesty on high. He did not sit down in the back row nor in the attic up there. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty. He took the position of honor and privilege and power. It's reserved for him. No one else, no ancient prophet, no modern-day prophet could dare take that seat. It's the seat of honor and power 
and highest privilege. You see, he has been exalted, but not first. First, he was humiliated. Then it gave way to his exaltation. That's the way it is. This is the Son of God. I ask you a question. Isn't he better than any prophet, any spokesman, any so-called wise man or woman of the day who commands so many such followings today? Isn't he far better? Not one of the things said in these three verses, not one, not one of the things said about him could be applied by any stretch of the imagination to any prophet, past nor present. Not one. The prophets of old bore witness to the coming Messiah. Now that he has come, they gladly retired from view. And we do everything we could to resurrect modern-day prophets rather than sitting at the feet of the supreme Son of God and receiving revelation from him. Don't do it. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. You know that one? I told my wife when I die, I'd like someone to sing it at my funeral. But not you, Brother Chuck. I've heard you sing. <laughs> Turn your eyes upon. See, they took their eyes off of Jesus. That's not that complicated to figure out what's going on. They took their eyes off of Jesus. They did not lose their salvation. They neglected their Savior. Big difference. And the writer of Hebrews is calling us back to a focus of attention on him. He's our, he's our first love. God has spoken in the past, but this is far better. Now he has spoken to us in his son. Therefore, he is a far better revelation from God, of God, and as God, you see. He's better than the prophets. Jesus Christ is the person in whom God gave his final revelation to the human race. There is no further revelation. Hear him, my fellow Christians. Many voices beckoning for our attention. Hear him. Walk with him. Snuggle up to him in private prayer. Walk with him. Learn from him. Turn back to him. Ask him to restore to you the joy of your salvation. You have salvation if you have accepted him, but you may have forfeited the joy thereof. Ask him to restore the joy of your salvation. Stop going from pillar to post in the mad quest for peace. When Jesus came as the Prince of Peace, find peace again on the inside. Go to sleep at night. <clears throat> Stop running around as if you're that important. Walk through the day with the Lord Jesus. Avoid distractions. Say no to good things. For the better thing, 
which is to sit at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want to crawl across the finish line. I want to run. <laughs> I want to break the tape. I want to run into the arm of the Lord Jesus. I don't want to do so gasping for air, beaten down, destroyed. And then have the gall to sing victory in Jesus. Come on. He's far better than any source of help, any source of guidance, any source of information about Almighty God. He is far better. Look no further. Run back to Jesus. There's something about him. Remember that song we sing, Jesus, 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 there's just something about that name. Master, Savior Jesus, like a fragrance after the kings and kingdoms. Don't get so lathered up about those guys. They will all pass away. But there's something about that name. Let's sing it. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about that name. Master, Savior, Jesus, like a fragrance after the rain. Kings and kingdoms may all pass away, but there's something about. Do you know the Lord Jesus in such fashion that that kind of song um, is willingly and understandably sung by? Do you have that nature of relationship with him or is it just an awareness of him but not that connection? Don't be ashamed to say I don't have that connection, but we want to help you in a connection center. It's a little room just on the other side of that wall. We don't think there's anything more important than you Establishing a connection with the God who made you, loves you, speaks to you, wants you to be in his presence forevermore. We would like to talk to you about concerns you may have, perhaps about a measure of disconnectedness to him. We're going to open up that connection center and invite you in just the next few moments before you go home tonight, do yourself a favor. Buddy up with a person in there. They're very safe, non-threatening. They care about you. I'll tell you what their agenda is in case you're wondering. They just want to spread the wealth. They're rich. They've been enriched because they're connected to the Supreme One, the Lord Jesus. And they just want you to be enriched similarly. Lee. They're not going to preach to you. They're going to listen to your heart. And then they're going to tell you how your hurt heart can be healed and how the holes in your heart can be filled. It can only be filled by the Lord Jesus. He's better than any attempt you have made to fill the void. So we'll pray. Let's stand together. Let's pray. And then we want to invite you, as you see fit, to make your way to the Connection Center. Buddy up with a partner who will be a friend indeed, because that one 
will seek to introduce you to the Lord Jesus Christ. We bow before you, Lord Jesus. There's something about your name, your character, your ways, your works. Thank you for coming and for embracing us while here. Thank you for paying the ultimate price and then winning victory over the last horrific enemy death by rising up from it as the first fruits of life from the dead, meaning we connected to you will follow suit. Thank you for speaking into our hearts. Lord Jesus, when we listen to you, it isn't only words, it's relationship. Would you please envelop each of us here in a refreshed relationship with you? This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.